Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, one will be appointed to you. But I want to ask you to do something with me this morning. I'd like to lead us in a congregational confession of sin. That way you don't have to feel funny that it might be you bowing your head or if there's something that you need to confess before God. But I thought possibly we could do this together and it would be less harmful to you. And I want to read this, dearly beloved and brothers and sisters in Christ, the scriptures move us. And they move us in sundry places to acknowledge and confess our manifold sins and wickedness that we should not dissemble nor cloak them before the face of the almighty God our heavenly father. Why is that important? Because today in future families I'm talking to you about God the father. I pray that God we would confess them with a humble, lowly, penitent, and obedient heart and to the end that we may obtain forgiveness of the same. By his infinite goodness and mercy, and although we ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before God, yet ought we chiefly so to do when we assemble and meet together to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at his hands to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his most holy word, and to ask those things which are requisite and necessary as well for the body as the soul. Wherefore, I pray and beseech you, as many as are here present, to accompany me with a pure heart, humble voice, unto the throne of the heavenly grace of God, by praying with me and agreeing with me in this prayer of general confession. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful Father, we have erred and we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. It might have been this week, last night, or this month that we have followed too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. Almighty God, we have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. The truth Father, there is no health in us, but you, O Lord, this morning collectively have mercy upon us, most miserable offenders. Spare those, O God, who are willing to confess their faults and their sins this morning before you through the person of Jesus Christ by the manifold witness of his Holy Spirit. Restore those here this morning that are penitent, According to your promises, declare unto all mankind in Christ Jesus, O Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of his holy name. If you agree with that, please say amen. This morning in Ephesians chapter 1, I find it very important that we think about the characteristics of the church. Folks, the church is not a building. There are a lot of metaphors that describe the church. 
But the greatest one that I believe that we are attributed is the body of Christ. That says a whole bunch about who we are. I want to tell you of a story that Keith Miller, he tells about an outgoing 40-year-old woman. Her story is an amazing story. And he was sharing that with a group of people, and she happened to be present in that room. Here's what she said. When I was a tiny little girl, my parents died, and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all, and no one seemed to want me. But I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I could ever remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over and what I did to drive them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited, I jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial and this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew that somehow this time it would work out. So I went with the, this family and I started to school. I was the happiest little girl that ever came out of the orphanage. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school. I ran into the front door of the big old house we lived in. Nobody was home, but in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. I didn't belong here anymore. Miller reports that when the woman stopped speaking, there was hardly a dry eye in the group. But then, courageously, she cleared her throat and said almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. But wait, don't feel bad for me. It was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God. And it was there that I found what I had always longed for, a place, a sense of belonging, a forever family. You see, she had found her future family. And that's what this series is all about. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on that old, rugged, bloody cross, we are part of a future family an eternal family. Being a Christian is not for while I'm just on this earth, folks. It's forever. It seems on earth that not everyone understands that amazing gift. In fact, I came across an article, two men had boarded a coast-to-coast -coast flight, and they were seated next to each other on a very commercial plane. After breezing through the on-flight magazine, the first man turned to the other and asked him, hey, what do you do? And the man replied, well, I'm a pastor of the church. Oh, laughing, said the first man quickly, I don't believe in that religious stuff. It's for kids, you know, like the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The minister politely laughed and 
He asked the same man sitting next to him, he said, hey, what is it that you do? He said, oh, I'm an astronomer. He said, oh, that stuff, said the minister. I don't believe in starry stuff. It's just for kids, you know, like that song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Folks, Christianity is not just for kids. Nor is the starry universe. All have to do with God, our Father and Creator. Now listen, you need to leave your mindset of this earth. You need to leave your troubles, your trials, your tribulations, all the concerns after church. Stop the presses, whatever you're doing, and be still before God the Father. God has something to say to each and every one of us here today. This is not President Obama. This is not Congress. This is God speaking through his holy word. Ephesians is a wonderful study about how God thinks and says the church should function. And I ask you this morning, in honor and reverence to God the Father, would you stand as we read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with heavenly, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, somebody say amen. amen, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and the glory of God. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. The Los Angeles Times reported 
Several years ago, the story of a man and a wife who died in their 50s, and they found them dead inside their apartment, and the autopsy revealed that they both died of malnutrition. What was interesting was that when the police found their bodies, which had already begun to decay by the time they were discovered, they searched the apartment and found in the closet a whole pile of little paper bags and they opened each of the little paper bags and inside was a collection of over $40,000. It's a little ridiculous to die of malnutrition and have $40,000 in paper bags in your closet. Wouldn't you agree? Well, wouldn't you agree? There was a lady known in American history. Her name was Hetty Green. Hetty Green was called America's greatest miser. When she died in 1916, which is a very long time ago, she left an estate at the value of $100 million. Now that's a lot today, and that's a lot in 1916. That's just a lot of money. But Hetty Green was so miserly that she said she ate cold oatmeal because it was too expensive to heat the water to warm it. Her son had a severe leg injury and it was so severe that she was delaying trying to find a free clinic where his leg could be treated. She delayed so long that his leg had to be amputated. In fact, she got, I think it's apoplexy? And she hastened her own death by arguing the merits of skin milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. Folks, now that's a strange lady. To die with a hundred million dollar in your estate, your son loses his leg, and you actually encourage your own death and eat cold oatmeal all your life, that does not, we have a hard time understanding how that was a proper use of resources. Would you agree with that? That's not very wise, is it? Would you counsel that? Well, that's what the book of Ephesians is written to Christians. I mean, what do you mean, pastor? What kind of a Christian is like that? Well, that's real easy. The kind of Christian who has all the riches in Christ but lives malnutritioned every day on earth. Do not be the kind of Christian who wanders through life with a case of spiritual malnutrition, who doesn't know where the feast is. That kind of Christian is a Christian who does not know how to tap their resources, well, maybe because they don't know that they are who they are really in Christ or how rich they truly are in Christ. But folks, God the Father owns it all. He owns all of it. Ezekiel the prophet said, all souls are mine. The father and the son, all souls are mine. God can do, distribute whatever he wants to do because he is God and we are not. And it's amazing how we strike out an argument against him. If you can get a handle on the book of Ephesians, 
Some people have called the book of Ephesians the bank of the believer. Now, how many of you like to see your bank account full? Well, how many of your bank accounts aren't full? But how many of you know that your spiritual bank is pressed down, shaken, and overflowing? Now, some of you, that might be news to you today. You didn't know that you were that rich in Christ, and you didn't know that the book of Ephesians is a spiritual bank account, that when you write a check out of the book of Ephesians, it'll never bounce. It'll never come back to you void. You don't have to pay it back. That's probably the best news that many of you are going to hear today. So Ephesians this morning is your spiritual checkbook and I think it's time that we understand that that is a blessing from God. I'm going to show you that this morning. During the Depression, I remember reading one time where banks were only allowing people in some cases to only take out or withdraw 10% of their money. In any economical downturn, in any economical collapse in a market, that's not a good situation to be in. Whether you like it or not, the banks own you. What you will need in a time of a recession or the collapse of a market is a holy God who will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, not the government of the United States, not the bankers that are around this world moving to one world order, but God the Father. That's who you have on your side. So Paul here, the opening chapter that we read through, he represents six aspects of the divine blessing that he's about to unfold. Let me give them to you real quick. First, he talks about the blessed one. Who's the blessed one? God. God is the blessed one. Then he talks about the blesser. It's still God. Folks, you have what you have because God blessed you. By the way, the devil just didn't think he decided to be nice one day and do something for you. Okay? All evil is a, a, comes from the fall that originated with Lucifer. All evil comes from him. All good. Every perfect gift comes from the father of lights. Anything ever good that has happened to you is because of God the Father through Jesus Christ. So we have the blessed one, the blesser, the blessed ones, that's us, the believers. Number four, the blessings, which are all spiritual blessings, the blessing location, which is heavenly places, and the blessing agent, which is the person of Jesus Christ. Now that word blessed is eulogio. It's where we get the word eulogy. And it's a message of praise and commendation. Often at funerals, we have a eulogy. And so we talk about a person's goodness, but because no one is truly good but God, I know that bursted your bubble this morning, didn't it? If I asked you the question, are babies good, what would you say to me? Well, you'd say, yes, babies are good. But babies come from sinful parents. And if parents aren't good, then how can the baby be good? I'm not saying babies aren't cute and cuddly and innocent and they don't know, but sinners breed what? Sinners. That's why it's so difficult to hold up a baby and tell everybody this baby's going to be with Jesus because look, y'all, I don't know. 
I don't know what that child's going to decide. I can dedicate a baby, and we're going to have a couple of baby dedications coming up. But look, man, we make choices every single day. You make choices every day whether or not you are abiding in Christ, obeying him, walking with him, if you spend time in prayer with him, if Sunday morning is the only time that you ever consider prayer or come down here. Listen, man, you're going to be spiritually malnutritioned. I give you one meal, and it's about 55 minutes, and then I don't know what you do the rest of the week. I don't know if you eat from the word of God. I don't know if you're getting spiritual manna, but I know this. We have supreme praise for God the Father. Can I talk to you a minute about God? I mean, can you really go there with me this morning? I want you to think about God. I wrote, uh, went back through Ezekiel, and Ezekiel spoke about the vision. And if you go online, there are some good things on the internet. There was a, a cartoon character of the vision that Ezekiel had. Now, if you watch that, that will blow your mind. I mean, a wheel within a wheel that has eyes all around it, and there were lightning flashes, and there were six-winged creatures, and they had four sides of a head. One is an ox, you know, one is an eagle, one is the face of a man, and he begins to explain all that vision, and then whenever there was a flash of lightning, they would go. The spirit would go. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think about God. Because God is a spirit. But he was manifested through the person of Jesus Christ. God became flesh. So that he would understand how jacked up we are. Because that's basically what he found out. And he said that on the cross. Father, forgive them. Why? I don't know what they're doing. You know what? He's right. Think of all the times that you've come to God, you know God, the truth that you have today, yet has anybody mastered sin? And so what we talk about that's so important because knowledge puffs up. You can quote Matthew, you can know the scriptures, but nobody really has mastered sin in their life yet. Nobody. We all like sheep have gone astray. But God's nature, listen, God's nature is good. God is intrinsically good. God is love. And God the Father not only does good things, he is good in a way to a degree that no human being except his own incarnate son, our Lord Jesus Christ, can be. He did it. Jesus did it. Born of a virgin Mary, raised in obscurity. When he wandered away from his parents, who finds their child in church? Right? You're going to go to the arcade. You're going to look in the bedroom, see if he's playing Xbox Live. You're going to go anywhere. Where did we find Jesus as a youngster? He was sitting and, and the scribes and the Pharisees were all listening to him. Right? Do you remember what Jesus answered when his parents caught up to him? Oh, we were worried about you. It was so crowded that when they would walk for days to come to the Passover, you, you wouldn't know. I mean, they just assumed that everybody was running around. I mean, you talk about getting lost in the mall. I mean, you had thousands of people there. You didn't know. He got lost. Was he lost? No. He did 
what his father told him to do. He's in the temple and he's teaching at 12 or 13 years of age. God is good in a degree that no human being except his own son could ever be. From Genesis to Revelation, listen, godly men, little g, recognizing the surpassing and humanly unattainable goodness of God have proclaimed blessings on God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise him. God is worthy of praise. The cherubim and the seraphim, out of time and space, we call it 24 hours a day, are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I heard a commentary one time say that every time that the cherubim and the seraphim would cry holy, that it was a brand new, brand new revelation of God, that not a single holiness is repeated, that everything, the hour, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, everything is brand new. It's holy, holy, holy. Not a single one ever decreases, they, decrease, they increase because that is the beauty, the glory, and the splendor of God the Father. He's God. In fact, from Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God who met Abraham, he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth, a tithe of all the spoils. And so we have a tithe all the way back to the time of Abraham. Now folks, if Abraham did it, then we ought to think about being faithful to God and bringing a tenth of our tithes to the storehouse because it's commanded in scriptures. And here we see this happening, but by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually, Hebrews 7. Best description of Melchizedek. So stay with me as I walk through this for a second. In biblical study, a type refers to an Old Testament person, practice, or ceremony. It has a counterpart, an antitype, and like in the New Testament, and I'll show you this, in the sense types are predictive. Watch. The type pictures or prefigures the antitype. The type, though it is historical, real, and of God, is nonetheless imperfect and only temporary. The antitype, on the other hand, is perfect and eternal. So the study of types and antitypes is called, as one might expect, typology. What does that mean to you? For instance, the bronze serpent that God commanded Moses to set on a pole in Numbers 21.8 is a type of what? Well, it was a type of Christ being lifted up on the cross. It wasn't Christ. It was a type of likeness symbolizing Christ being lifted up on the cross. Now follow through. The sacrificial lamb was a type of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed for the sins of the world, John 1.29. It was a type of Passover lamb, what? in lieu of the true paschal lamb, which is Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God. 
So Melchizedek is also a type of Christ. He was not Christ. Much debate that goes on about Melchizedek, but it was a likeness. It wasn't Jesus Christ. It's mentioned early. The Bible gives very little historical information about Melchizedek. All that we know is located in Genesis 14, Psalms 110, and Hebrews 5 through 7. The most detailed information is found in the one I gave you, Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. In the last days, watch this, Melchizedek declares, blessed be the most high God. Now stay with me now because I'm talking about properly praising God the Father. Do you properly praise God the Father? It's got to be a little bit more than lip service. It's got to be a little bit more than lip service. In the last days, the time now after Christ's ascension till his imminent return, every created thing which is in heaven and in earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them will be heard saying, Tell him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That is Revelations 5, 13. Folks, nothing, listen to me now, nothing is more appropriate than praising God the Father with your life. Nothing glorifies God more than your life through Christ that is pursuing him relentlessly as a parent, as a spouse, as a child of God, as a Christian. Nothing. It pales in comparison. It's the greatest gift that you can give back to God. It's a dedicated, holy life that is absolutely committed, surrendered, and abandoned to him. Your lip service doesn't do much of anything as much as your life service. What you do speaks louder than what you say. I'm going to break it down for you. Coming to church on Sunday is your reasonable service. It's not your ministry. You can't say, hey, God, I've been church on Sunday. That's pretty good, right? And then you don't ever talk to him the rest of your week. You don't ever do anything for God the rest of the week. You just wait till next Sunday. Well, dang, preacher, I show up every Sunday. Well, I hope you don't do that for me. I hope you're doing it for God the Father because he's the one that you and your family and your children and your children's children will stand before. So, are you promoting future families? When we read last week, 1 Chronicles and Matthew 1, we talked about the genealogies. You know why? You know what that meant when we read those? That we were the future families. What are you building? What are you building? Listen, your kids watch you. What kind of a home are you building? What am I saying that for? Because listen, if you blow off Sunday and you tell your kids well, that's not important, then guess what they're going to grow up doing? They're going to think that's not important. And when the topic comes up in Sunday school and they talk about tithing and you don't tithe, guess what your family's going to do? They're not going to tithe either because you don't think it's important. But God thought it was important and he put it in the book. Are you doing what the Bible tells you to do? If you're not, you're missing it. To miss the mark is nothing short of sin. You have the book. 
The Old Testament people didn't have the book. They only had the Pentateuch. They had five books. I mean, they started, Paul started writing the New Testament. But you know what? You know what amazes me? Humans will bellyache and moan and whine and complain and gripe and criticize. And you know what that tells me? You are nowhere clear, clearly close to God. You know why? Because when, when you see people that are close to God, they don't do those things. Right now, you're justifying in your mind why you do what you do. The Holy Spirit puts his finger on those areas of your life that you're not doing. And you're like, hey, hey, hey. And you start the excuses from A to Z. That's what he does. That's how we do it. But nothing is more appropriate for God's people than to praise him with your life. Is half obedience sufficient to bring to God? Is three days out of seven acceptable to bring to God? Is once a month acceptable? See, nobody likes this lesson. Nobody. And right now you're thinking about, good God, I've got to go to the bathroom. And how can I get up and make it look like I'm in a hurry to get to the bathroom? And I'm yawning and I'm waiting and I'm counting the time away. Let me tell you what's going to happen with you, Christian. You're going to walk out that door and you're going to live the same life you've been living. And I'm telling you something, when you stand before God the Father, when you stand before the Holy One, when all are prostrate and only the righteous can stand before the Son of God and stand before Him, the last thing you're going to think about is what? All the things that you can get away with. You might even think before that Bema seat happens and before some of those hit the great white throne, you might be thinking, man, I should have lived better on that earth. I should have been a better father. I should have been a better Christian. I should have made my kids learn the value of going to church and worshiping God. I should have done more Bible studies. When I've been on deathbeds in 30 years, nobody ever talks to me about their money and finances. The only one that ever does are those people that don't know God. When my mother died, she wanted to bring all her things around her. I said, Mama, you're not taking anything with you. You came into this world with nothing, and you're going out with nothing. You're not, you're not going out of here with anything, pal. They'll take the ring right off your casket. Oh, I've seen it. I've been in enough funerals. I heard them talking. I saw them plotting. I saw them make a move, and they took the ring off that dead body. You know that happens. Good gosh. The kings in Egypt had all kinds of good stuff, man. They, 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 they robbed it for posterity's sake. Oh, we want to preserve the history of, you know, our country, so therefore we're going to break into these graves, and we're going to steal everything. We're going to put it in the museum, and then we're going to charge you to come look at it. But hey, we didn't rob a grave. We were doing it for, you know, our country. Hey, grave robbers. Desecrating the grave. Look, man, this body you're in, it's going down to the ashes. When you die, this is what you needed to live here. It ain't what you need to live there. You get the body that Christ had, that transformational body. 
the body that doesn't limp. You don't get arthritis in the hip. You don't get sickness, cancer, disease. You don't get tired. Get a brand new body. Why? Because God said so. It all starts with God the Father. You know, it's funny. Many Christians continually ask God for what they already have. Did you ever notice that? Let me give you an example. Christians will pray for more love. Romans 5.5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. How many Christians you've been with, they pray for peace. John 14.27 states, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I freely give to you. Christians pray for happiness and joy. But Jesus said in John 15 11, these things that I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christians ask God for strength, although his holy word already tells us you can do all things through Christ to what? Strengthens me. Why do you pray for what you already have? That is the riches in Ephesians. That is the riches that God has in store for you through the person of Jesus Christ. There's an inheritance that Jesus bought and paid for in full. You're getting, I'm getting what Jesus Christ bled on that cross for. We didn't do anything but put him on the cross and grace says, I'm going to give you everything that my son bought and paid for. Somebody better say amen. Somebody better get excited. I'm sorry, man. You know what? You're a bunch of dry bumps of logs that are wet if you don't get excited about that stuff. You haven't tapped into the riches of God. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And you're like, oh God, I need a job. I know you're busy. I mean, I don't know what it's like to run a universe. That's gotta be busy. I know I'm busy, but not working. I need a job, God. So the God who created the work week, the God who, because of sin, sent Adam out to work until the ground, God can't get you a job. I mean, you got to hang on to your money so tightly because you're afraid that God ain't going to take care of you. So you justify why you don't give God what's God's. Listen, give to God what's God's. You want to experience blessings in your life and favor? You want God to bless your children, your children's children? You want him to bless your finances? I mean, you want him to do these things? Listen, then be obedient to what he says to do. People do it all the time. Just be obedient to God. I've been a part of churches where they would burn out pastors. If they didn't like the pastors, they would say, all right, we'll cut off his funds. Why don't you let God take care of that? Why don't you be faithful to God? Why don't you give to God and your family and your marriage and your children what is God's? Give it to him. Some of your men are so selfish to your wives. You love your wives to do everything for you, but you don't let them do anything. We're selfish, self-centered. We're self-absorbed and tapping into God and his riches. God loves cheerful givers. Why? 
because that's his nature. God gives to you. God's healed your colds and your flus. When you were low in finances, God came through for you. Look, man, we're no different than the government. You know, Malachi says you rob God. If I said, who in this room wants to steal from God? Come on now, let's get his hands up. Who wants to steal from God? Who wants to rob God? You know, you've said when people break into churches, right? How could anybody steal from God? Hypocrite. We've all been there. Give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to the government what's the government's. But you give to God what's God's. Listen, you'll never change. You'll never change. Your situation won't change. Your family won't change. Your marriage won't change. Nothing's going to change if you're going to do the same thing. But if today somebody, if today somebody, if today somebody caught the opening in Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Blessed be God who all the riches in heaven are there for me. Why are you living like Hetty Green? You're malnutritioned. Your spiritual muscles have atrophied and you're okay with that. Oh, don't be okay with that. Somebody, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. I mean, God did his part. God, what does that mean to you? God the Father. Jesus said, I do nothing but the will of my Father. It's all about him. In the beginning, God, Abba, Papa. If you settle the first opening line of Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, you have the rest of the Bible locked down tight. It all rises and falls. Those four words in that opening statement in the book of Genesis, it means beginning. It says a lot. The Word, listen, in the opening book of John, the Word became flesh. From Genesis to the opening of the New Testament. In the beginning, God. Come on, dream with me. You're going to see Him. You're going to see God. Look, man, this ain't going to London to see the Queen. Come on, twinkle toes. Wake up. You're going to stand before God. And listen, not a single one of you has the guarantee that you're going to live to see tomorrow's sunrise. You like to think you do, but you have no guarantee. Many of you are battling sickness and disease and all kinds of things that happen that make you think. Paul wrestled with it. He said, look, I, I, I'm ready to go home. I, I, I'm torn between the two because if I die, Jesus, I get you. But if I live, I've got more opportunity to share the gospel. Listen, who has bewitched you? That's what Paul said to the Galatians. Who's lied to you? Who said it's okay to live the way you're living? Who said it's okay to believe the way you're believing? Who said it's okay that you treat God the way you treat God and you make excuses why you do it? As if God's going to say, oh, okay. Do you love him? Do you really love God? God, 
Do you love God? Because if you answer that question, yes, then here's what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey my word. If you love me, do the things that I've asked you to do. Look, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not counting on my government. I'm not counting on my military. I don't trust in chariots or horses. Some do, but I trust in God, my Father, to orchestrate my life. That no matter where I go, whether it's a depression, a recession, a military strike, an economic downturn, cancer, sickness, disease, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because I and my Father are one. God. So love the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever should believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. Did God give you that gift? Do you have eternal life? Do you read, study, and obey the word of life? And folks, you will live a very, very prosperous life. Go back to Ephesians. Read those six chapters. Find out not only who you are, but whose you are and the riches that God has in store for you. Listen to me. Listen to me, this is important. You don't need, that's all right, the baby's saying amen. I know that, I'm interpreting for it. Listen, you don't need a better job and you don't need more money. You don't need anything but God. You don't need the church to rescue you or save you. It is God who saved you. It is God who rescued you. It is God through the Holy Spirit that gave you everything that you need to be successful, to be a Christian, husband, wife, or raise children, or do what needs to be done. God has set all things in motion for you. Stop listening to Satan. He's a liar. He is a yellow belly sapsucker liar. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, and under that rock, please. Look, I don't dare take him on. I'm not stupid. I might be loud. Come on. You don't need preachers to beg you. You know, there's nothing more tiring than being around Christians that you have to drag all the time. That you got to drag them to church and you got to drag them to be excited and you got to drag them about their attitude. Look, man, I'm going to tell you something. Your attitude needs to be lined up with God. Listen, you'll find fault with me and you'll find fault with people. It's amazing. Those people never find fault in the mirror. But they want to blame everybody else. They want to blame pastors and they want to blame the churches and they want to blame the government and nobody wants to be part of the solution. How do you become part of the solution? It all starts with God the Father. What are you going to do about that? Nothing. Just another Sunday come to meeting. Each week, each week, each day, I'm on my face. God allows me to minister to people beyond this church. There's people that I find around the city. When I hear something happens to them, there was a young man that shot himself about 30 years old a while back, probably a couple weeks ago. 
And I could have let it go. I could have said, that's a shame. But God put it on my heart to call. And one thing linked to another till I found out who the person was and was able to talk to them. Because those people are now dealing with suicide. Those people need to hear from you. Every one of you. You have the answers to life. You have the word of God. You have the key. And we've got to stop living the way we're living. And we've got to get back to the basics of the Bible. Get back to reading the word of God. Get back to praying. Stop complaining and bellyaching. And be the solution that God wants you to be. You were designed to reach, to change, to challenge, and God to use to bring revival to this land. I believe, I believe, I'm so bold to say, I believe that revival is coming to Polk County. I'm so bold to say, I believe that revival is going to start here. You know why? Because I believe in God the Father, and he's waiting on somebody. Does anybody down there believe that book? And more importantly, is anybody going to live it? You don't ever fault a football player who's busting his tail for you out on that field and getting cut up and bloodied when he's in the game fighting. It's the sideline guys that bellyache and moan that I got a problem with. That won't put the time in to be a starter. It's time that you start. It's time. If not us, who? If not now, when? If not you, then who? You are the answer. You are the answer. You are the answer. Many of you are serving and moving around this county. Praise God. But some of you aren't. And that's why we try to build the family. Do you need someone to pray with you? We've got people. We've got women's and men's groups and people that will pray with you and help you the best we can. But you got to remember something. The church is not your sugar daddy. The church ain't here to fix all your, all your needs. That's God's job. Well, what do I do? Repent and return to your first works. Repent. Repent. If you blew it this week, repent. If you've been griping and complaining, repent. Because that's what the sons of Korah got swallowed up in the earth about. They were griping against Aaron and griping against all that was going on. And they all died that day in the desert. The earth opened up and swallowed them whole. Don't you wish some Old Testament God would come back? 99 of us would be dead by now. If that was the case. God's grace and mercy endures forever. God loves you. He loves you but he needs you and he's depending on you and he's counting on you. How many more sermons do you need? How many more studies? How many more prayer groups? Come on, come on, get in the game. Let today be that day.